Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Today's guests are Megan and Dom. They are the creators of the BaptistAccountability.org database, which keeps track of abuses that have happened within Baptist churches. I've referenced them before on social media, and I'm so glad we finally got the opportunity to sit down, talk about the nature of their work, how advocacy has taken a toll on us. And really, this conversation was absolutely amazing. And I really just felt like these were people I'd known a long time. It was a really good conversation. And I really hope you guys will listen to the entire thing. Be sure to check out Dom and Megan's work over at baptistaccountability.org or connect with them on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. They're super active over there. And I know they'd love to hear from you. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Preacher Boys podcast. Dom and Megan, welcome to the show. And it feels long overdue that we're actually meeting and talking. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, it's it's really good to have you guys on. And uh, I promoted your, your database quite a bit. Um, okay. And there's a link in the show notes. If anybody's listening, you haven't checked that out, definitely do so. But um, I want to kind of go back to your stories. Um, I know that it's been reported on, um, I believe it was USA Today, uh, put out an article about it, but uh, you guys referred pretty heavily to the environment of keeping quiet, keeping your mouth shut within the church environment you grew up in or or were attending um, that kind of led to this. Can you talk about that and how that was kind of preached within your church? I actually dealt with you a lot, Eric, and the people in your discussion group. I didn't realize I was IFB. <laughs> um, I, I was raised in a non-denominational Christian school uh, that, that I would say had more of an impact on me than anything in my life, than my parents, than my you know, church, which was somewhat conservative, um, but it was called non-denominational. And then actually within the last year, a bunch of abuse cases are coming out from the past when I was there in that school. And so there's been a lot more conversation. And as I've talked to alumni from that Christian school, um, 
I, I asked, I'm like, I would say we were Baptist, even though we were non-denominational, wouldn't you? Because of now having been in another Baptist church as an adult. No. And they said, actually, independent fundamentalist Baptist is what it was because all of the um, officials like the principal and all the teachers went to independent fundamentalist Baptist church. Mm. So I realized then that's why I jive so much with what he says, <laughs> like, I was raised that way after all, (laughs) Uh, even though it wasn't called that. So I was pretty much primed then in that whole mindset of submit to everyone as an authority over me, like basically everyone. Yeah. Like I I had no self-esteem. I want to say, you know what I mean? Like just ability to speak up for myself or, or have my own opinion. I just always needed to hear from other people. And I always felt like I had to submit to anyone in the church and anyone, my husband, my, you know, um, so that then when we went to college, well, you should tell your, how you grew up first and then we'll meet back up at college. There you go. Okay. (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, I became a Christian at around age 11 or 12 and it was a charismatic Episcopal church, Hmm. which might make your brain hurt a little bit, but it's very different than independent Baptist. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, And and apparently, you know, historically that's actually kind of common is, you know, some Episcopal churches tend to bring in that charismatic nature as well, uh, spiritual gifts, et cetera. So, um, you know, that was my first exposure, you know, from cradle up till age 11 was just, uh, you know, there's something out there, but you know, just, don't make mom upset. You know, that was, that was our God was don't take off the parents, you know? So, you know, I became active in the church and, you know, I was in a single parent matriarchal home, meaning, you know, my mom raised six of us and it was a very poor family, but I never came into it even up till now with that patriarchal view as being, you know, authentic to me. Right. Because, you know, my mom had raised us and I was placed in that situation where, you know, I did respect women because I respected my mother and, you know, respecting others. So I didn't have as much of an issue with the patriarchy piece of it. Uh, and then again, that was age 11, um, that the church had some, some issues in retrospect, there were elements of spiritual abuse and emotional abuse there. They were just over my head and off my radar, right? I was a kid. And I mean, that became my whole life. Like, you know, religion and the gospel. And, you know, I took it very seriously of, you know, I was a music leader and I was very active on, on the board for this church and whatnot. And, you know, and then I went away to college and that's kind of where we met, you know, I came into it. We went to Messiah college, which is now Messiah university. Uh, I came into it thinking, Oh my gosh, this is like going to prison because they had rules, you know, and I never had rules. Um, and, and me, the expectation was everybody was going to go to Bob Jones and so Messiah College is very liberal for yeah. a Christian school. And so I felt like, woo, wait a minute. Like, yeah, I felt out of my element. Like there was too much freedom. Like, mm. oh my gosh, these people are out of their minds. You know, <laughs> it was different. We just came at it from totally different angles. And yeah, same situation, yeah. but totally different backgrounds. And, mm. you know, we met, you know, the birds chirped, the <laughs> heavens opened up and, you know, it was love and and all of that. And then we uh, both became active in a Bible study called Narragate Fellowship on campus, which was very charismatic. Um, 
this was something that you were very drawn to, and I don't want to speak for you, but, you know, this was kind of a new theological framework that you were, you know, becoming aware of. And for me, you know, coming out of a charismatic Episcopal church, you know, I did have some experience with, you know, the charismatic side of it. And we both started attending this uh, charismatic Bible study. And, you know, over time, it became very cultish. And then in the end, it was just a, a total flat out cult. Uh, I've written extensively about that on churchtrauma.org, um, sharing our story there. And that was, uh, we were in there about three years. That was a very abusive and traumatic environment. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the, the leader eventually, you know, seduced another congregant. He was married and had a, a you know, an infant child. And, you know, the, the whole thing just literally imploded, but there was a lot of abuse and there was a lot of unpacking of that, that we just never did. Uh, we never took the time to process that. So we came out of the cult and we immediately jumped right into a charismatic non-denominational church in, in our area. Did you have something? Yeah. Add? Well, we just, it just looking back, seems like we didn't know. We, we went to the church, the new church for our answers. And they gave us the whole like biblical counseling type of you know advice and no one recommended that we go to an actual therapist and I just realized had we gotten better advice (laughs) we'd have been so much further ahead in life and you know avoided a lot because we just kept over and over getting into these situations the rest of our lives like up till very recently I think that's a normal pattern though I mean people I even look at my own you know, my own short life, you know, within going from place to place. And I think we have a tendency to rationalize things as being a one-off incident, or we tend to rationalize things as being, well, that was weird. Let me go immediately into a different version of this and hope it's better. And, And a lot of people, you know, get lucky and they do find a place that's better, but more so uh, people tend to go through this pattern, just like people do with abusive relationships. You, you keep trying the same type of person, the same type of church. And uh, I mean, I, we have friends that have been on staff at four or five churches that are all the same brand of church and they keep seeing the same results happen over and over again. I think that's just, uh, you know, we keep repeating that pattern, hoping for different results. Absolutely. I think that's totally our story. That was so, our story. Yeah, because the the then that charismatic church, which basically had the same theology as the cult, except people weren't living together and stuff. But. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we we jokingly say it was basically the cult without the orgies. Yeah, right? and, and that's overgeneralizing. I mean, we weren't obviously in an orgy or anything like that, but you know, yeah. we minimalized it, and we came out of that scenario and and moved kind of you know out of the frying pan into the fire, so to speak, of right into another situation that was so similar to the cult in terms of its hierarchical structure and its theology and, you know, its approach, as Megan said, to like biblical counseling is the way we do everything. You know, we are people of the word. So all of our processing of the cult was, well, you need to forgive the leader and then just literally move on and don't look back because that's how Jesus treats us. Remember that whole breaking free thing. We Uh, did some weird Neil Anderson breaking free. I don't know if you've ever heard of that because that's more in charismatic, but that's mm-hmm. their kind of biblical, biblical counseling. counseling. It's basically you renounce demons and you, you know, cut generational curses, curses yeah. and, mm-hmm. and do all these things. And suddenly you're Ooh, better. Woo, you're free. over it. You're Fixed. free. Yeah. Forever. Don't have to think about it ever again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you do, then, you know, you got to speak to that devil and tell him to get out of here because you're free. And yeah. yeah. 
that was interesting. <laughs> that was, you know, literally our experience. How, how many years were we there at that church? Seven, Seven years. Mm-hmm. And we had two children in the process and no. there were, there was this thing called the evangelical thing, right. Where it just creeped into everything. And I would include like purity culture and, you know, so that affected everything. It affected, you know, our sexuality that affected our parenting. You know, you had to grow kids God's way. You had to do everything according to their rules. You know, you could watch Veggie Tales. Harry Potter was satanic. And, you know, there was just this big, huge bubble and to stay in the bubble, you know, you had to believe and you had to think the same way as everyone around you that didn't work out so well. So, you know, towards the end, you know, I would, we, we joke a lot because it's joke or cry about it. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, every Sunday, you know, Megan would be in tears and I would, you know, talk to her about like, what's going on. And, you know, no, wait, do we skip something there? Because we we're in the charismatic church. We're, we're in still, the charismatic church. I think you need to take the next step before okay. we get to that. Part. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm still there. So in the oh, charismatic okay. church, I don't remember crying tales from the nursing mother's room. Oh, so, okay. you know, you would I go into you. the nursing mother's room and, and that was a large social construct of all the nursing mothers yeah. would sit in there with, you know, with their infants and, you know, talk about parenting. raising the kids and parenting and, you know, let them cry it out because that's God's way and, and all these things. And there was so much cognitive dissonance going on there. I know for you, mm-hmm. And just the, the theological constructs were falling apart. And hmm. that, that concept, again, of, of hierarchy, if you will, or, you know, submitting to the church leaders, no matter what. And yeah. th- there was, it was just, it was becoming untenable. I mean, we couldn't mm-hmm. stay there anymore, any longer. And you know, so eventually we left. One of the <clears throat> prime tipping points for us was, was really over the concept of, of a biblical counseling or what they call new authentics, uh, new authentic counseling. And, you know, we just had some significant concerns about it. Um, we got the impression that church leadership wasn't being genuine with us uh, about the use of it and whatnot. Um, so in the end, we just left. I mean, it was very painful again. Yeah. I mean, every time you leave a church like that, especially if there's a disagreement, I mean, and it's not, Oh, the pastor sending you to, you know, minister yeah, elsewhere, go with our blessing. Go with our blessing. You know. Yeah. It's just, it's whole traumatic. You lose everyone every time. Yeah. It's I mean, really that happened in the cult and yeah. granted it was an abusive environment, but there were genuinely good people in the cult Yeah, and you know, you leave the cult and all that's gone and you start over socially and emotionally and, you know, with relationships and things. And then we went to this church seven years. We had some roots yeah you know friends and and they're all literally gone like the second you walk out the door it's like you never existed at all no, um no. and then, anything on that i don't think so and then we decided i mean not, not to give we every detail we, we went hit, to yeah. a mega church and literally hid in the back row for, for a year for like a year and it was a mm-hmm. gigantic mega church in our area um just because we didn't know what we wanted to do next yeah, what's next and we thought we can't not go to church yeah, you must <laughs> do not forsake the gathering, you know, you know, so, so we ended up then we kind of decided just, you know, I was like, just give me a pipe organ and a King James Bible. Maybe if we just get back to the basics, that's yeah. what it is. We got away from the, yeah. the fundamentals. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So, yeah, long story short, we ended up because there's lots of other factors, too, but no, we ended yeah. up in a Southern Baptist church. Mm-hmm. It was originally a conservative Baptist church, and then it became an SBC church. While we were a couple years after we got there, it became SBC. 
And so we, we joined up there and it was drastically different from my background, which was, you know, charismatics and gifts of the spirit and, and all of that evangelical stuff. Um, it was way closer to my comfort zone yeah. of what I grew up with. <laughs> yeah. And truth be told, I mean, we really fell in love with the pastor there. There was at the time one pastor, he had such a heart for, for people. Right. And he truly lived out the gospel in his interactions with people. Like he was a, a kind, generous, loving man. And we fell in love with that. So we started attending there and we were there 12, 12 years. years. I was a worship leader. I was on the board for six years. You were the nursery director. Coordinator. Coordinator. I don't know what you call it at That's, the end. Yeah. I made the schedule up and made sure people were in the nursery. You did background checks. Yeah, we went when the law changed in Pennsylvania, the law changed so that um, everyone had to get background checks if they were in any kind of volunteer position anywhere. (laughs) And so, yeah, we helped people get their background checks because nobody knew how to do it, you know, which is things like that. We were very, very involved, very active there every Sunday that we possibly could be unless one of the kids was sick. We had three more kids there. Five total now. Yeah. And it was our whole family. It was our, it was our whole, whole life. life. Yeah. yeah. Again. Again. <laughs> again. <laughs> and we thought, oh, process. Since, you know, maybe the theology was different. Maybe this would be different. That now. was what was wrong. This time we'll get it right. Eric. Yeah. Now we got it. It's theology. Right. And it didn't work out so well. I mean, so the church was originally one pastor and that became two and then it became five. Right. And it's tiny church. Tiny I mean, church. hundred people. people tops on. Why do you need five pastors? But yeah. yeah. So was, they did. <laughs> And it became kind of the land of misfit toys, right? Of other pastors would come in and just attend. And they're like, oh, well, you're a pastor. You were a pastor. You have the credentials. Get up here and preach, you know, and and boom. they never checked anyone's backgrounds. At all. And we ended up actually, so the story in USA Today spelled out about the one pastor who ended up being the head pastor, Don Foose, um, turned out we found out that he was a convicted child molester. Hmm. Um, there, there also then ended up being another pastor that had past accusations of abuse that we didn't know about. That was not told in the story because there wasn't room in the USA Today, uh, but there really, there was a second abuser at our church too. Hmm. And allegations, uh, allegations hmm. from the past. Now, you know, not yeah. at that church. It wasn't brought up on charges by police or anything like that, but there, there was just this thing right and and even in our case like how that whole thing started was we started to notice a lot of tension Mm -hmm. among the the eldership the pastors about different things but we never really knew why or what was going on um and then in the end you know the head pastor you know the first original pastor you know he just quit he just moved Mm -hmm. on to another church and said he felt led by god but you could feel it when he was yeah. saying it, like, no way. He loved this church. His dad was the pastor before yeah, him. Yeah, it didn't make sense. Just didn't add up. So, but we kind of let it go, like, oh, okay, you know. And then things really just started getting really, really wonky of there was a lot more tension. Constant preaching on not gossiping. Yeah. Because talk. people were asking questions. Don't, you know, gossip, no gossiping. You shouldn't even be talking about anything that's not your own business you know, and forgiveness. And there was a whole sermon on how we should forgive, even when we don't know the details of a situation, even when, you know, it was just so obvious what was happening. Yeah. Spiritual abuse. And I started having 
we didn't see it at the time. Like we didn't know what was going on, why they were doing that. But the whole, I think I realize now I didn't at the time that that whole feel of, of spiritual manipulation really got to me. I was having panic attacks in the services and I didn't know why. And I would have to leave and walk outside and I just couldn't even handle being in the building. And I finally told Dom, I'm like, I just, I can't come back. You know, I mean, I'm sorry. I bring the kids. Like, I'm not saying I just literally for my health, I cannot keep coming here on Sundays and I can't even say why I don't, it's just something's messed up. Yeah. And you would be down and out. So you yeah. walk out of like a service and just be out walking in the parking lot and we would go home and you just be kind of down and out until like around Tuesday, you know, just, awful. just a mess emotionally. And then it would repeat every Sunday. And so finally, you know, I said, look, I can't be here. And, you know, what we had determined when we were in the cult was, you know, no matter what we stick this out together, we stick together. And so, you know, we made the decision that if, if you can't be here, none of us are going to be here and we're going to figure this out together. Well, I wasn't sure you were going to say that at that but time, but you did. And I'm thankful. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we just stopped attending and we started processing what's going on. What are, you know, asking questions. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's literally about the time we found out that so, you know, the head pastor had left. Um, one other pastor who was a very IFB pastor had left. So now they were down to three and Foose was the head pastor. And he was still, I think at the time, still the superintendent of the church's yeah. school. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you want to share like how you found out? I mean, yeah, yeah. I was talking to a friend. There were two people that I stayed in touch with after we left. Most people just it was like you stopped existing. Yeah. Once again, yeah. everyone's <laughs> gone. We don't, we don't exist anymore. Yeah. Like nobody <laughs> checks to see, are you okay? What happened? And these were your closest friends. You thought it's so no. weird. It's just strange. So I had two people, um, women, friends who kept, I kept in touch with. And one, I was talking to her and they were also trying to figure out what was going on, why this was so weird. And her husband was on the board at the time. Um, which the board at the church was the deacon board and it was also the board of the school. It was one in the same. One in the same. So anyway, um, she was talking to me and we, I was just saying to her, you know, I don't have any reason to say this. And this is probably a terrible thing to ever say out loud. But do you think there's sexual sin going on here? Like, it just feels like it to me. I don't know how to explain it. I said, maybe mm. it's from the cold but I just, it feels like it. And, you know, and she was like, well, do you know about Don Foose's convictions? And I'm like, convictions? No. And so she was very, you know, oh, well, you guys need to do background checks. Just do background checks on the pastors and mm -hmm. see what you find. And so we're like, okay, so somebody knows something and she didn't want to tell us. So we did Run the background, background checks, checks on all five of them. But meanwhile, that takes a week or two it to takes get time to get back. And so, so then I we just started, started Googling. Googling. Yeah. And the first thing that came up, it was Don Foose, his, the revocation of his teaching license yeah. right there from the Department of Education. Like, how did nobody yeah. ever find this or know this? Or does everybody know? Yeah. And they're hiding yeah. it, which ended up being um, most. 
well, it's iffy. People say that they knew he had an accusation, but they thought it was a false accusation. And that pastor that left, the head pastor, he just says he believed the story and just never ran a background check. So he didn't know that he was actually convicted and in prison for they molesting a child. Oh, wow. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of it was incompetence. <laughs> I mean, just not doing their job. Um, but then we, we know for sure other people did know, like my friend that I was talking to knew that he was convicted. And there was an ex-police officer who was the chairman of the board. And it had been um, complaints about Don Foose's behavior with kids had been brought to him. And he, you know, everyone trusted him because he was a police officer. He was a police officer at the time of the accusations, I think. He was still, a, he hadn't retired yet, I think. Yeah, I don't, I don't so recall. people just trusted him that he would know if this was okay or not and, and work on it. And he just made it go away. And that was um, the, the approach, right? Was people would bring concerns to establish church leadership. Church leadership would do something, who knows, behind closed doors. And then just say, oh, say, oh everything's out. good. There, you know, there's nothing going on. And, you know, nothing. And we believe here. them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? I mean, you we didn't have any reason not to. Yeah. This is something I, I'm curious to hear your perspective on it. Cause I'm, I constantly wrestle with what percentage, cause you've been in across denominations. I mean, you've had a very interesting buffet of religious experiences, you know, and, <laughs> I, and no, you're mother. seeing these happen where there's, you know, spiritual abuse, there's sexual abuse, there's leveraging your power for sexual gain. There's all these different pieces. And then you have the layers of people knowing something's wrong or knowing, knowing of something wrong, I should say. And you mentioned like there was a lot of incompetence. What, what, when you look back over all of these years of, of seeing these cases and these situations, just in your personal life alone, what percentage of that do you think is people not knowing how to respond and they're kind of, you know, bungling different issues and, and dropping the ball versus intentional, sinister, cover up because, because I look back at my background and I don't know what level to believe when someone says, well, I kind of knew, but I didn't know the extent or I kind of, the, and all those questions you mentioned, you know, why didn't you look into it? Why didn't you Google them? Did you know, if you did know, why didn't it bother you? If it did bother you, why didn't you say something? You know, yeah. when you look back, do you think it was, you know, and even in the case you're looking at now, is it churches intentionally being sinister and covering this stuff? Or do you think it's, just complete idiocy in how to handle it. The magic Very question. good question. <laughs> you want to go? Why do it? I feel like we're not going to get closure on this today? I know. I do. One one conclusion I feel like I've come to is the the person that it's usually centered around, like the abuser. Okay, who is always a narcissist. Mm-hmm. They are always willfully deceiving everyone. Oh. That Your I'm convinced opinion is of. That, my yes, opinion, sure. allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> All the so, legal eyes <laughs> are dotted, T's are crossed. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that because I, I will say, like in our cult, for years and years and years, um, until Dom started blogging about it and it broke wide open again. Twenty five years later, all the cult members are talking about it now. And we're discovered, we thought all along that he really bought into what he was teaching us, and he just slipped up slipped up like mm-hmm. he just he really believed it like he just really was self-deceived you know and we found out um now from things we've heard from other people that he very willfully deceived us and was yeah. very 
with ill intention from the beginning. But the people who cover up, some I do think, I think it just depends. Like, I really think that the policeman, this is my opinion, <laughs> I really think that that policeman knew better hmm. and willfully hid it no. and tried to make it go away. Um, but I do think most of the other people were just taken in by the story, the false narrative that it was a false accusation and they just didn't know better. I, I do yeah. think most didn't know better, but some did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would take the same route, right? I mean, it comes down to cognitive dissonance, right? Of yeah. something doesn't seem right. What do I do about it? And it's so much easier to tell yourself, you know, oh, the people above me that are in leadership, you know, the hierarchy and whatnot, you know, they've got this. And if they were serious, they would let me know. Like, yeah. that's, I think, a majority of it. But when you flip that and get to the higher echelons, you know, it's unavoidable that some of these people, for example, who may have served time for abuse, you know, it's, it's unavoidable that they appear to be spinning up fabrications to stay in a position of authority to, you know, to keep a paycheck. Right. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, it seems unavoidable that, that they are, they're intentionally misleading people. And then you have kind of the middle layer directly under them, which tends to be the enablers that are, you know, kind of going by what the leader's saying, but also, you know, just like the people underneath not making waves just to keep the show running. I mean, that's kind of my, it's similar to yours, but it's. Yeah. I'd like to know your opinion on that. Yeah. <laughs> if you have well, one, I don't know. <laughs> you're the expert. I'm just no, the no, humble podcast. I'm more of an expert than you are. You've heard more than we have probably. No, I mean, I, I mean, for me, I, I think I probably would agree uh, in a lot of ways. I think that there is always, you know, I even think this with a lot of pastors who have spiritually abusive tendencies. I think there's a lot of that. I think sexual abuse is a pretty clear cut. I mean, you know that that's wrong. I, 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 I have yet to hear a case where I think like, oh, they misunderstood and like did something. I, you know, maybe, maybe harassment, maybe like, you know, doing something that's inappropriate, but not realizing like that's, you know, that there's things like that. But I, I mean, at the point you're, we're talking rape or molestation, I think there's a clear, you're making a choice. Where I struggle is there are a lot of pastors who tend to lead their churches. Again, not all, but a lot of pastors have a very pragmatic approach to leading their church where they, for whether intentionally or unintentionally, in this case, I think a lot of times unintentionally, will set up a situation where the buck stops with them. They have very rigid control over everything. And I think there's a lot of pastors that just learn that from watching the pastor before them and learn that from the Bible college they were in. So I think there are a lot of accidental spiritual abusers and I give, you know, maybe I give too much grace to a lot of people who, you know, find themselves in a position where they're very domineering and things like that. Cause I think they're trying to keep things moving and think that if I control it, I can keep things going the right way, which has yeah. the opposite effect. Usually when it comes to the spirit or the, uh, just abuse in general on the cover-up side, I think I see one of two things. I see uh, the people that are specifically trying to help and assist, which is usually the abuser and maybe one or two people that, that really know and are really helping cover it up. But I think a lot of people, and I would say even my, I mean, I've talked about even my dad, this is a confusing thing for me as he's on staff at a church where, you know, 
a situation was not taken very seriously whatsoever. And he would disagree and say it was, and all that sorts of, all that sort of thing. But I look at that and I think his, his thing is what you mentioned, which is he looks to the pastor above him and says, he addressed it. He handled it. And he told me everything's okay. So, so he's defaulting to the pastor's authority and, and, you know, leaning into that. And I think there's a comfort to that to say like, okay, the pastor told me, so it is what it is. Like, it's okay. Um, and then, and then there's other people, I'd say the last category and, and maybe this would be the same thing, but I think a lot of churches are brands first and foremost. You know, I heard you guys on Jimmy Hinton's podcast talk about, you know, giving statements that a lawyer wrote and that's that sort of thing. I think that there is a, in a moment of crisis, we have to protect the brand this being the church or the cause of Christ, which is one in the same in most people's eyes. And so you have to, you know, whatever we have to do to not let the community know that this happened at our church, because that's going to hurt our reputation. That's going to hurt our ability to win souls. That's the piece right there where I struggle when someone says that, I don't know if they truly mean that and they truly are well-intentioned and doing something really dumb, or if that's just lingo, you know, and some days I'm, you know, some days I'm hardcore conspiracy theorist where I'm like, man, the Southern Baptist convention, like all these guys have to know way more than we do, you know? And, and I, I sit there and go like, there has to be this, you know, major elaborate, me- they have to know. And then there's this other piece where I'm like, you know, I, I look at a JD Greer and I'm like, I think he truly thinks he's doing the best steps that he can, but he's fumbling, you know, like crazy. So it depends on what mood you catch me in when I'll, I'll switch well, my answer you, a little exactly bit. Exactly what you said is exactly for me. No, I tend on the conspiracy end more often and I get really angry. <laughs> it's, it's easy to, and yeah. there's a, there's a line from, uh, from the movie spotlight, which is like, you know, I always joke. I like, watched it. Thanks to you bringing that up. Such a good movie. I did, it was really good. Yeah. yeah. It, and uh, I always joke. That's like my Avengers, you know, like that, I love that movie, <laughs> but the, the line in that movie that always gets me is when uh, Mark Ruffalo meets with the lawyer and he kind of talks about this cover up by the church. And uh, he says, I'm not crazy. He says, I'm experienced. You know, he's like, I'm not crazy. I'm not paranoid. I'm experienced. And that's how I'm starting to feel is like, there's too many, too many consistent cases that look exactly the same to not feel that way. And it, you know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a social psych guy, right? I mean, my, my undergrad studies were in social psychology and, you know, my master's was in human behavior and in the IT field, right? So this kind of stuff, you know, I love laying in bed thinking about all this crap and, you know, it, it's ultimately coming down to, you know, I've been bouncing this off my therapist, like we're in therapy, real, like actual therapists now, which has yeah. been so helpful. And, you know, the part of it is, we will never know, like, you know, Eric will never know, Dom will never know, Megan will never know what that person was thinking and what was motivating them, et cetera. Ultimately, you know, all the, the best that I can hope for is, is understanding how it affected me and how it affected her and how it affected, you know, the mm-hmm. congregation and how it affected, you know, that the victims, you know, the survivors who were abused in one way or another, that at least is enough for me to keep going. Um, because but I do think we need to figure it out. I don't think like, that it's not possible. Us, but like, I don't think it's always going to be possible to figure out. Well, 
So what I, so one, one thing I've heard lately, I know there's a lot of talk about systemic problems, like systemic mm, racism. Yeah. That's a and, another can of worms. And yeah, and that this problem is systemic in the church. Right. Well, racism is systemic in the church I mean, too, there's several... but there's lots of systemic things. But yeah. but yeah, there's the way the system is set up, whether or not the people are good that are in it. Is irrelevant. Is, yeah, they're being manipulated to be abusive even though yeah. like you said they don't mean to be well there's there's the the statement that i've said has never made made more sense to me than the last year and a half of really swimming in this has yeah. been the road to hell is paved with good intentions i think yeah, that you know that statement i think about all the time you know and I, I think it is like you said it doesn't matter who what the motivation is of the people in the system the system okay is running a certain way. And I and think it's hurting that, people. It yeah. is. Yeah. Well, let's definitely talk about. So, so you started the database Baptist accountability. What was it in you, you know, cause obviously you could have just had this last situation happen and gone like, we're out of here. Let's just, go to th- let's go to therapy and, yeah, and stay out of this it. stuff, you know? Been so, very nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> like maybe an option. Um, yeah. So, so know, what, what, what led you to actually decide, like, let's look at the system. Let's, let's list out what's happened and let people know what's going on. Yeah. Wow. You want it or you want me to take this one? How about we'll tag team it? So one of the issues that we noticed in Oakwood specifically, right, was, and it was the same pattern in Narrowgate, was you had a user or a user, a a leader that had, you know, done some form of abuse, um, in this case, you know, sexual abuse, right? But also the the other abuses of, you know, lying to a congregation, misleading a congregation, using spiritual, like weaponizing scripture, financial, abuse, financial abuse, all of these different components. But then when they're caught or called out or whatever, they'll resign and then they just move on to the next gig. So our cult leader did that. Um, Foose did that. And that's kind of what sparked, I think, for us was within a few months of him leaving Oakwood, he was preaching it what two other churches yep he had preached at two other churches and one of them was local and that was a whole its own whole thing because i i tend to go scorched earth with things and make people really ticked off and i just made a facebook post saying um don foos is at carlisle baptist church preaching beware because he this is you know this just happened at situation. our church our story yeah. hadn't come out yet then and dom took the nice I tried to road. take the nice the good cop road <laughs> and she took the bad cop road yeah. right? and I was I'm going to reach out to the board of which you know I know these people these are my brothers you know we were family at Oakwood reach out to the board so I tried the good cop you tried the bad cop neither of which worked um we got harshly rebuked in writing from the board at Oakwood um yeah that they had told us if anyone ever had questions we should point them back to to Oakwood to Oakwood that they would answer any questions about the situation whatever trust us we got this you know that was in they essence, freaked out and totally that I, I did post that in a blog entry on churchtrauma.org, but their letter is there and it is just insane. It's first of all, first of all, they totally um, corrected Dom 
for my Facebook <laughs> post. So it was that whole, that was when it really hit me that being a woman was a thing. <laughs> like they Patriarchy. really don't get mm-hmm. that I'm a human being. Yeah. You know, she's under me, from, you know, the yeah. umbrella, I'm holding the umbrella and God is up there. And then there's Don, you know, it's, what was that movie? Real genius, right? It's mm-hmm. God, Dom, and then Megan down here. But they wouldn't even address me by name. Yeah. Like they didn't, it wasn't an email to both of us. It was to you. About we take issue with behavior. your Facebook post. And they didn't even say Megan's Facebook post. Yeah. They literally just put the whole thing on Dom. Mm-hmm. Of, uh, you did this, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, we never support this. And how dare you put, well, then they took him on that said, well, how dare you put your, our email address or he had referred them to. I was implying to, that they were in support of me reaching out to Carlisle. Is what they said, but you weren't. If you read the letter, all he did was say, if you have any further questions, I recommend you reach out to Oakwood Baptist mm-hmm. Church about Just what happened there. Trying to connect the dots here, right? So Oakwood was like, look, we're not going to actively go and follow Foose around and tell people what's going on. But if people come to us, we'll answer the questions. Okay. So I'm like, Oh, okay. So I understand the rules here. I see that Foose is somewhere else. I'm going to put that someone else in touch with Oakwood, connect the dots and everyone's happy, but it, you know, yeah, it, everyone was not happy. It didn't work. And so. the pastor at the Carlisle Baptist, the new Baptist church where he was preaching was very unhappy And then um, my friend, Nicole, and I, she was the one who, who I'd had that discussion with that had turned out she had known, but again, she said for her, and and she has helped me a lot to understand the people, I I should have brought that up, what we're saying about people who get caught up and don't realize they're doing the wrong thing. I mean, she has done a 180, her and her husband, like they get it. They're like, what were we thinking? Like we knew this and we didn't think it was a problem. You know, they totally get it now. So I do think there are people that legitimately just. Just don't get it. Just don't get, get it. it. And anyway, so where was I going with that? So Carlisle, that made oh. it into the USA Today story of yeah. that. Well, part it kind of ended in the middle because Nicole and I then had been, which, you know, because we were the ones that have time to do it because we're the stay-at-home moms. <laughs> but we got in touch with um, our state association. Uh, Baptist, Baptist. No, no, different one, Baptist Resource Network, no. which is over New Jersey and Pennsylvania <clears throat> for the SBC. And they're not over them. Like in the SBC, there's no authority. It's yeah. just yeah. an association. Autonomy. There's a, sh- yeah, there's, a, it's, it's, I, I laugh because in the independent Baptist world, it was like the picture painted of the SBC was that they, you know, the danger was that they tell you every single move you have to make. And so we're not part of the SBC because they'll tell you what curriculum to use and what, and what I've realized because we attended a Southern Baptist church and actually a good Southern Baptist church for, for a while was, you know, what we, what I realized was like, they come together for funds primarily when missions projects for Sonia it and outside of that, every church is pretty independent. There's, there's not much, accountability or authority over those individual churches. It's not at all like a, you know, the Presbyterian, you know, PCA churches or things like that. Yeah. And there's someone to go to when there's a problem. It's a, it's very much independent Baptist, but they're just, you know, they pay their dues to the SBC. Right. Right. So we, we got in touch with the Baptist resource network, which was that association that Carlisle Baptist church was part of and said, look, you know, there's a convicted child molester 
preaching. I mean, he's not on staff, but he was preaching at the church occasionally. And uh, we think that, you know, here's what just happened. We sent them at that point. Did we have the story yet? No, we didn't not send yet. them the story, but we told them our story. This okay. is what just happened at Oakwood Baptist Church. We don't want that to happen to you. Right. Like, like we to, to Carlisle, like it destroyed our church, literally destroyed it. And we don't want that to happen to another church. Can you like do something? Can you step in? Can you tell the congregation? Oh, I'm sorry. We can't. Hmm. Um, autonomy. The autonomy, whole autonomy thing. The, the guy was nice, the director of that. But then after the first conversation or two, he just passed us on to his lawyer and the lawyer, then we just, all our conversations were with the lawyer who was a nice guy, but it still was the whole, like, our hands are tied. There's nothing we can do. And I'm like, but we could, right? Like we can go tell them, why can't you, why don't you feel any responsibility to do this? Even if it's not in your job description, don't you want to protect people? Don't you want to keep children from getting molested? What is wrong? Like, it's just, it just blows my mind. And so they said, well, the most we can do is go and talk to the pastor and just strongly recommend, encourage, encourage him to, to tell the congregation. And so I kept, che- I wouldn't let it go. I kept checking back constantly, like bugging them like crazy. Do you know yet? Do you know, we, can you tell me when you do know? Yes, we'll tell you when we know. Kept asking, kept asking. I mean, it went on for weeks and nothing. Finally, they said, okay, well, we did talk to him. And we recommended that he tell the congregation, but we don't know if he did or not. So I, I got completely fed up and I just said, I, at that point, as I was, as Nicole and I were emailing that um, state association, we had tagged um, Todd Unsicker. I don't know if you know who he is, but he's like J.D. Greer's right-hand man. And Nicole had actually reached out to J.D. Greer, who put her down to Todd and Unziger to deal with this. So she was dealing with them. I was, you know, well, we both were dealing with the state association. So I tagged Todd Unziger, all kinds of people, you know, on all this stuff, because it's important if you just write an email to one person, they can just bury it, right? So I thought my thinking is, we just tag everyone. This needs to be transparent out there. You know, all these people were tagging this, no one crickets crickets like so I finally I tag I sent the email to the actual pastor of Carlisle Baptist Church tagged everybody again and said you know dear pastor Roman nobody can tell me whether or not you've told your church about this about Don Foose's background so I'm just contacting you directly can you please let me know if you told them if you haven't (laughs) I was so cheeky I was like you have until this date and if, if I haven't heard from you that you've told them, I'm just telling them myself, however I can figure out how to do it. And that was when I was really surprised crickets then, like nobody, not Todd Insiker, not, you know, J.D. Green, he might have been on there, I don't know. Nobody was responding, not the state association, no one. We heard nothing until the night before the deadline that I had given. Then, then the, the pastor, the pastor said, okay, Megan, I've told the congregation and like, and that was kind of the, the point, right? Was like in Narrowgate, the leader just moved on in this case, Foose moved on, right. With no repercussions, no one even knew and no one 
if they did hear enough that they might have had questions, I don't know what Roman did or did not know, right, about Fuse's background, but they weren't asking any questions. It was, oh, cool, you know, get up there and preach. The children's director did not know. Yeah, when, I mean, when... we talked to some people inside, you know, that this other church, Carlisle Baptist, and, you know, some people just did not know at all. I think the children's director was one of them like so the issue was these people just move on and i'm sure you know you've seen the, the same eric like they just just move on and it's what hinton calls like passing the trash there's no accountability so that was what led us to think you know optimistically if there was some way to track these people then people would be safer that kind of led to, you know, we got in touch with like Ashley Easter, we got in touch with Krista Brown, who, you know, did a database in the early days of all of this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our, our world started opening up of, well, why can't we do that? Yeah, and nobody's doing it. It seems like it's, I mean, at least with his, he has the skill for the technical side. And, you know, I'm like, and I have the passion. I'm like, why can't we do this? And why can't the SBC do it with, I mean, they are so wealthy. They might have one or two IT people there within the whole SBC that might be able to do this. Yeah. Meanwhile, we have no money, but it's It's like two people. (laughs) We can do it. Because we could do it. We did it. Right. And so we literally just started the database. I mean, it was literally just that simple. And what we did, I mean, it's, entirely crowdsourced, meaning, you know, people put in records and, you know, we, we credit you, Eric, as often as we can. And mm-hmm. also Krista Brown, you know, Stop Baptist Predators and, you know, Anglican Watch and Stop, uh, what's the other, the, um, there, there's a Bishop Catholic Accountability. One. Bishop, Bishop Accountability. Accountability. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's there's a now a map yeah. 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 They're, they're springing up because there is such a need and the need only exists because those who can do it and should be doing it as an example, the SBC, right? They, they should be doing this and they're just not willing to take this on. Yeah. And what we're doing is, and I know Krista Brown makes this point all the time. Like what we're doing, isn't what they're asking the SBC to do. They're asking them to figure out if the accusations are credible and, you know, really be, airtight kind of investigate like investigate we're not investigating we're making a platform where anybody can you know put in their things and we're not guaranteeing that it's correct necessarily like Like, that's not our our role or our responsibility right we're not investigating things though it needs to be done and and that's something that has been going back to the sbc just as one example i'm sure it's the same within the ifb and within you know, the PCA and all of these denominations are facing the similar challenges. And one is a way of tracking them that, you know, someone could log on to our database or your database or somewhere and find a centralized repository of looking up someone. And then two would be if there are, you know, if there are any allegations, who is documenting them and investigating them? And, and that is a, a, a preposterously huge need within all of these denominations and it's largely being unmet right now. Right. So documenting it is one thing. And, you know, obviously we both attempted in different ways and you mentioned a host of other people that have attempted to bring it out. Like here it is. How do we get people who need to, to care about it? Because what, you know, what I'm seeing is that, you know, and I'll say with my own platform, 
you know, I'm not denigrating any of the work anybody's doing because we're all doing the same thing. Right. But, you know, one of the issues I'm seeing is that, you know, my show needs to be heard for, first and foremost, I would say, by pastors within the movement, by congreg- you know, current members of these churches. But they're in that echo chamber, that bubble, where they're not going to venture onto a podcast like mine. They're not going to visit a website like that. And if they do, they're going to be like, you know, the majority of people that you mentioned who find out the information, don't know what to do with it. And it just falls to God the side. God forgives. Like, yeah. right. It's, yeah. And then they have their whole theological right. thing of God forgives. We got to give second yeah. chances, you know, which we all know is. So, yeah, good. I mean, I mean, obviously we're not going to figure out the why, like, you know, Jimmy Hinton always talks about, I don't care why, you know, like, how do we stop it? You know, um, I don't care why. They do it, you know. Oh, sorry. I think yeah. when we started the database, one thing that I felt was, yeah, these people aren't going to do this and they aren't going to care ever. And so at least if we have this, the people who are in the congregations might stumble upon it or might find it might save someone from being molested. Yeah. If it saves one person, it was worth it, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So yeah, sorry. I was just thinking that like at least at least it's there. But I do, we, we need to market better because I really feel like we're pretty unknown. Yeah. And realistically, I mean, I'm at the point now where I believe that the people that need to be using this, they're not going to use it no matter what. Like we, mm-hmm. when I was on the board, I had just as much an ability to Google True. any of these pastors. You don't think that way though. Yeah. yeah, you don't. And I think that is more the root problem, which is even us providing databases isn't going to solve the root issue what is the root issue? You know, obviously transparency and accountability within church leaders is a, is a core issue. And another, in my opinion, would be the con- concept of congregational hierarchy mm-hmm. of putting someone in authority or a position of authority undoubtedly potentially leads to that person becoming abusive um, because of just the power in their position. I mean, there's mm-hmm. so many studies done on you know, that, that concept of abuse in leadership. I mean, I, I don't know that this is the best solution, but what else do we have at this point? No, mm-hmm. all you can do is present the information and, and make it known. Um, and, and that's, that is one piece. Cause I, and, and I'm sure you've seen this as well. People slowly trickling where they'll, you know, they'll say, Oh, I saw this. It made me, you know, I was already questioning something. It's the people that are one foot out already. Right. right. Um, you know, but there is also that piece too, where like, I look back to these stories from the nineties and eighties and seventies and sixties and fifties and going back, you know, going back down the line. And it's like, there wasn't even the access to the information. Like we're in a totally new, and I think this is why we're seeing so many of these pastors that are older getting busted now is they're not used to pastoring in an internet age. You know, they're not used to, um, you know, the pastor that we, you know, they had a closed door meeting and, you know, and, you know, people recorded it and sent me the footage and, you know, you, you, it's just, you can't, we don't live in that time anymore where you can just sweep this stuff under the rug. So I, I'm always just curious. Cause that's one of my biggest frustrations is, you know, I look at the stuff I'm doing and, and, you know, I think the main, a lot of the main leaders in the IFB are the ones that are the, you know, abusive or covering these things up directly. But when I see the work that you guys are doing, or I see the work that, you know, Ashley's doing, um, you know, or Rachel Den Hollander, all these different people that are really going for the SBC, um, 
it's it's just it's frustrating to me for you guys seeing the lack of response from the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, you know, it's it's a it's just no been very Southern Baptist has ever reached out to us. Yeah, and just to make it clear, like I will I will do whatever mm-hmm. I can to help the SBC succeed yeah. in this area. Like if they want me to show them how I did the database down to detail, like, you know, we all have the shared same goal, I hope, which is to protect people from abuse, whatever I can do to help the SBC, you know, that's an open offer anytime, you know, they want to call, I'll, I'll be more than happy to help. No, what, what do you think? And obviously this is speculation uh, in, su- in some sense, but as people who were in the Southern Baptist Convention for a while, some people, you know, you, you spoke at the, for such a time as this, the virtual rally that just happened, you, you shared a statement there. When you see the Southern Baptist Convention do steps like having Rachel Den Hollander come out, sit on a stage with J.D. Greer, you see, um, you know, different moments where they make mention of it. Why do you think that they're not reaching out to people that are truly advocating? Why do you think it is these standalone events? Because it's confusing for me. I mean, and I'm sure maybe it's confusing for you too. It is. I just think what how do people not care that children are getting molested? Like adults too, but especially children for me. I just, what is wrong with them? Like that, it, that this doesn't grip them. No. I, I don't know the answer. But I don't know. I, I mean, mine is just more, you know, pragmatic. And it's, I just think that these people, and this is my opinion, that they just believe in a system to the point where they've lost sight of what, what is the core of the gospel, you know, loving your neighbor and sacrificing for your neighbor and loving them. The, the fulfillment of that gospel is listening to survivors and doing everything you can to help. And by and large, my opinion is that they care more about the system of the SBC that it continues to run than they do about, you know, these these more important or weightier matters of justice and mercy and, and, you know, the core of the gospel. That's, that's just my opinion on it. Oh yeah. It's just so frustrating. Like it feels like they don't have a soul or a conscience. Like <laughs> I, I really, it really upsets me. And it's really, I mean, I'm deconstructing big time. I don't know if you know that, but okay. I, it has really affected me to see the level of disregard yeah. <laughs> for people that's- in the church. That almost affects me more. And I, I, you know, I, I mentioned on a, on a previous, you know, thread, I said the biggest like sledgehammer to my faith has been the response of leaders across denominations to this topic, you know, the Catholic church, the, you know, I, I always think about how much Hollywood was preached against. And then I look at how voraciously in the, in the, or how viciously in the last few years, they've turned on Harvey Weinstein and how aggressively after Bill Cosby and how aggressively, and yes, for decades, big problem with knowing about this stuff, covering it up, but they're cleaning their house in Hollywood, which was preached about. But then you look at the Southern Baptist convention and I look at people who do speak about the gospel so much written books about the gospel, have conferences about it. But yet when it comes to can we have a breakout session about this topic? Can we have a, can we have a, can we have someone speak about, you know, this and, and not be shot down, you know, 
Yeah. It just doesn't happen. And it's, it's, it's extremely, like, like I said, I mean, for me, that has been one of the hardest things for me to grapple with is that these are not like small to the side churches. Like these are I know people that are leading the movement and people leading who are you're right. Writing you know, the books, yeah. writing the rules, <laughs> like, yeah. but yeah. very frustrating. It, it is. It's aggravating. Um, yeah. Cause you question their religion. Yeah. Right. And what I mean by and that, and if you do that, you have to question your own. <laughs> well, that's the first to go. I mean, yeah. for us, it was absolutely the first to go. And that's the concept of deconstruction of, do I even believe this crap, right? Do yeah. I believe all of these things that I say, I believe breaking them down, analyzing each piece of it. And that's, that's probably a whole separate podcast, but, you know, questioning these people of, is their religion a theoretical book knowledge, or is this a, I'm going to go to the ER to, to stay by the side of a grieving mother, you know, mm. that, you know, have they lost sight of the gospel because they're writing books or because they're writing a sermon or, or whatever. I mean, and it does call, I mean, I, I know this is bad because men shouldn't ruin your, you shouldn't depend on men, right? God, like, but at the same point, when you look at this religion, I mean, for lack of a better term, you know, this gospel, why is the fruit so bad? Like it, it's not the way it's set up. It shouldn't be. I'm really yeah. struggling. I'm, I'm just being honest. Like, I don't want to, I know a lot of people aren't deconstructing that way and that's, I'm fine. I just, this is where I am with it. I'm like, how over the centuries has this been so, there's been so many abuses of this. Yeah. Is there anything that can be salvaged? Yeah. And I want to say that because I want the leaders to know, like, this is literally like what I'm going through because of how they've acted. Well, and I don't think you're alone. I think there's a lot of people who are, I mean, the, the, the number of people asking about this, the number of people that are pushing is growing. It's slow, slower than it should be, but it is happening. And I I think that is important. And, And that's why, you know, I'm very transparent on the show. I'm glad you are as well. Transparent in your own thing is, is, you know, it doesn't be- benefit anybody to put on a brave face and just say, Oh, I, you know, I'm not struggling with any of this or I'm not. And, and you know, for me, like if you, if you tune in some weeks, you probably walk away going like, you know, Oh, Eric feels this way. And then you walk away some weeks and go like, Eric sounds like he's on the cusp of just like walking away from everything. <laughs> but the reality is that's how I feel month. Is, month you know, I, I have a straight line at all. Yeah, you know, I I'll have, I'll have a month, you know, where I'll, I'll be like, separating everything horrible from the church and looking purely at the Bible myself or looking at my faith myself. Like if I get rid of them, this is a very, I I remember what's compelling about this. Right. And then there's other times where you go, okay, you know, how does, how do people who claim to follow what I'm following go into these drastic abuses of power, you know? And so it's this teeter totter. And like you said, I think it's important to share it because I think pastors aren't again, either aren't realizing or don't care that, you know, watching, for example, JD Greer, who I don't, I mean, I don't personally have a weird thing with JD Greer. Like I, I, he was very formative for me for many years and I'm sure he was for you. It, it, but I look at that situation, I go like, man, the things that he says about the gospel is beautiful. His books about it are beautiful. 
But then I'm also sitting there and going, okay, the person who is formative and showing me a lot of that now is turning a deaf ear to, you know, the, the Brian Lawrence situation or all these different things down the, down the road. So yeah. it's a very, it's a very difficult position to be in. And again, I, I wish that the pastors who claim to be authentically concerned about the gospel or about people or, or souls or all that, whatever language you want to use would express that when it comes to the situation. And, um, Right. Yeah, I, I, I think the time for for you know sugarcoating where we're at, you know, is over. I think that you need to, right. like I said, I think for me, like I'm gonna be transparent. There's times that I, I've I've mentioned a tweet the other day, like I've I've never struggled like I have in the last year and a half, and that has been not because of Hollywood or rock stars or all the things that I was told were a threat for 20 years. It's been pastors, and and that's a really weird position to be in. And it, it's even more fun when you're a parent and you're trying to figure out what to do with your own kid and oh, what to teach them and oh, all those boy, different are we pieces. Struggling with There's that. A whole other Let podcast. me just tell yeah. you. We have a couple podcasts we can do about with this. That. Yes. But it is, it's, it's hard, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like, okay, there are parts of the faith I find extremely compelling and I, I believe wholeheartedly. And I want to teach that to my daughter without indoctrinating her. Yes. And without putting her into a system, you know, even schooling, you know, do I want to put her in a school that's connected to this organization? And there's so many layers to that. But again, this is a mess where I appreciate the work that you're doing. And I, you know, I appreciate the work of an Ashley Easter and all these different people, because it's, it's making this become an unavoidable conversation. Like one way or another, this is going to lead to something, you know, like one way or another, you know, the Southern Baptist convention by not addressing this, I think ironically is going to destroy themselves faster. Um, you know, I, I, but like I said, there's, there's so many pieces. And maybe they need to be destroyed. Maybe, I've, I've you know, come and, to that. like, yeah. yeah, I don't, Can't I don't hold out a lot of hope. I mean, that was the conversation about the Catholic church when the yeah. spotlight story happened. And for, in a lot of areas, they, they cleaned house in a lot of different parishes. They didn't in a lot of parishes as well, but that's exactly. what's going to happen with the, with the SBC, with the, the IFB and all these different I have groups. Google, I have Google alerts set for, <laughs> to find, you <laughs> know, day. stories. So it emails me if there's stories about church abuse and it doesn't filter out the Catholic ones to the mm. way I have it set up the keywords. And what just amazes me is, yeah, I mean, the Protestant ones are overwhelming, but the Catholic are still, I mean, it seems more than the Protestant, although I know Rachel Den Hollander has said it's definitely worse than the Protestant. Yeah. Um, well, the, it, it's, that's a it's whole conversation too, but the, the, num- out, yeah, the, the numbers in the Catholic church, I mean, the Catholic church is by far the largest, right. I mean, it, it, millions and millions of people. What always shocks me is you know, the, the percentages for how small the independent Baptist, I mean, the independent Baptist movement is a million people or 2 million, depending on which they're not the survey taking type, but there's three to 6,000 churches is what the numbers look like. So for all the cases that they have enough for me to have a show about is pretty shocking. And then the Southern convention is large as well, but still relatively small considering the Catholic churches majority of the world, like Southern Baptist convention is primarily the u.s it's it's a lot smaller it's it's just the fact that they're even in the same that they're you know competing 
in any yeah. way is is shocking but it is but, um, it's all shocking but yeah the catholic church it just seems like it just keeps coming to yeah you. for sure to be fair they have their own country i mean it's yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, but that's the thing is 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 like that's when people always say why don't you talk about the catholic church i'm like there's people doing that really well i mean right. there's there's right. snap and all these different organizations but also too i'm just like again like the fact that the Southern Baptist Convention is even on the radar, you know, with how small they are relatively is, is crazy, you know, and yeah. the IFB even more so because it's smaller. It's a fraction of the SBC. So, but um, now that we've wound down into a very uh, encouraging and warm <laughs> yeah. and fuzzy. We want to leave everyone with a sense of hope and not, <laughs> not this uh, existential dread. Um, but no, I, I, I really do appreciate you guys coming on and I hope it's not the last time that we talk. And um, there is, I mean, I think this conversation shows though, I think for all of us who are doing this kind of work, I think that we're all feeling that same, whatever you want to say, burnout or, or I, I don't know what word, I mean, disen, oh, disenchantment, hope. you know? Yeah, thank, yeah hopelessness. <laughs> yeah. Why is it, this <laughs> shouldn't be our job, right? Pain, <laughs> trauma. Yeah. Uh, you know. <laughs> Sorry. Um, well, yeah, I know. <laughs> but I, uh, I know. and I, I really appreciated. Was it um, Susan Demay? Or Demay? What's her name? Oh, Kristen Demay. Kristen Demay. Oh, goodness, yeah. Was she the one I believe that said that her book, like her editor, told her, like you have to give them something at the end of yeah. this book that <laughs> because this is going to like ruin people. <laughs> I feel that way too. Like, okay, I'm such a Debbie Downer. Yeah, but, I mean, it, but she could I, only come up with one sentence in the end. Yeah, I mean, I, at it the end of the day, down. I think the biggest thing I find rest in is what you said, which is if one person is protected, or if one person, yeah. you know, if one person who's been abused feels like there's people out there who actually care, if there's one person who can, you know, do a Google search and find some, I mean that is worth it. Um, and I do commend the two of you. I, I understand it, you know, what it means to just be you. I mean, when it's literally that it's two people or, or one person that doesn't one know what they're doing and is trying to figure it out. And that's where I find myself. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm figuring and this I out day like, to day, you know, yeah. I think our, our databases pretty much came out. You came out right before we did, I think, because you know. We were, we had it all under works and we're getting ready to release soon. And then that friend of mine, I keep bringing up Nicole, tagged me in your, you had a post that you had a database. And I was no. like, well, maybe you had had it longer. I don't know if that no. was then. But I know. And, and you guys were like, quick to send me a cease and desist and said, this is our right. idea. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, oh, but we did. Idea. I did wonder then. I'm like, oh, wait, he already does this. Like, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. But then I realized, oh, his is focused on IFB. Yeah. Ours is, yeah. uh, we, we include all Baptists, but definitely our motivation yeah. was SBC. So. Yeah, and there's the happy ending, right? Is, you know, for you and for us, like one person can make a difference right. just by right. doing what's right. I mean, that's that's the silver lining on this dark cloud. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you for circling us back to a silver lining. Uh, I was getting worried. I was like, this is going to be such a downer, uh, downer <laughs> ending, but, but it is. I, I, and this is one of the reasons I was glad to talk to you guys though, is that there is, it, it's nice talking to people who understand. Cause I, I, not to sound all, you know, 
oh, nobody understands, you know, but it is when I get to talk to people like you or with Ashley, who's doing that for such time as this and all these different, it's encouraging knowing that I'm not the only person who's losing sleep over this or thinking about this or, and, um, and I really do. I, I'm really thankful for you guys coming on and sharing a little bit um, for, for people who do want to connect with you, who want to check out the database or even just with you personally, what's the best place for them to do that? Well, the site is baptistaccountability.org. There is a contact us form there. Um, we also blog about our own personal, you know, walks through these things at churchtrauma.org, which also has a contact form. I mean, those are the best methodologies to, to getting in touch with us, as well as to submit anything, you know, that you may have for maybe a record to be entered into the database. There are contact us forms there. It doesn't have to be your own personal story. Like that's yeah. what we, we were hoping more people will jump on board and just start entering. Yeah. You know, if you see a story in the news, if you see, you know, yeah. come across something on the internet, like just put it in there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we're doing this all together is, is the point, uh, yeah. you know, of that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, guys, definitely check out the link in the show notes to baptistaccountability.org. And uh, again, definitely connect with Megan and Dom. Let them know that you heard them on the show and uh, send them some uh, some Starbucks gift cards or something to keep the, <laughs> keep the site right. running. And, uh, and we'll go from there. But thank you guys so much once again for, for joining me. Thank you, Thanks, Eric, Eric, so much for having us. Yeah, we appreciate what you're doing as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.